is the leading cause of death in the United States. Okay, the main cause is atherosclerosis, okay? believe I'm saying that right, uh, which is essentially when plaque builds up and inhibits blood flow to your organs in tissue, okay? That's the main cause of heart disease. And the thing that causes atherosclerosis, uh, there's four main things actually. Um, An unhealthy diet is one. Uh, Lack of exercise is another one. Um, Being overweight and smoking, Okay, these are the four main causes that cause atherosclerosis, which is the main thing um, in, in causing heart disease that results in death. Okay, I find it interesting that the main thing that causes death to Americans has to do with the heart. So interesting, Uh, Jesus in this text in Matthew chapter 13, that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to address the conditions of the heart. Why? Because depending on the condition of our hearts, we can experience spiritual death. Okay, if there's anything worse than physical death, it certainly is spiritual death and Jesus absolutely is concerned with our physical bodies, but even more so, he's concerned with our spiritual hearts, which brings me to the title of this teaching. Simply put, heart conditions, heart conditions, okay? Let's pray, and we'll dive into the text. Jesus, we come before you, and we thank you uh, for your word, Lord. We thank you for your concern of our hearts, God, and the condition of our hearts. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts through this message to your church, Lord, um, that we would identify with these different conditions. We would recognize what you're calling us to change, Lord, and um, we would just draw near to you in this time. Lord, meet us where we're at. In your name, amen. Okay, if you remember... Context is key. Uh, Last week, we were talking about the family of God, right? And we finished off Matthew chapter 12. And um, the family of God, Jesus really sums it up in this one verse. If you look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother, okay? So my family, Jesus says, are those who submit to my Father's will, Okay, and then Luke's account of the same story tells us what that looks like. It's as simple as hearing the word and doing the word. Okay? Submit to the Father's will. And we talk specifically about what Scripture says uh, in regards to God's will for our lives. If you weren't here last week, you, you, can, you can grab the tape from last week. But Jesus sums it up. Submit to the Father's will by hearing the word and doing the word. Okay? Now look what happens in Matthew chapter 13. It says, on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. So on the same day, after he was just speaking about the will of God and hearing and doing his word, he's going to communicate this parable, okay? In Matthew 13, there's seven parables. We're just going to focus on the one, the parable of the sower. But he was communicating what the will of God is, hearing and doing the word, and now he's going to get to the heart of that. See, many people hear the word and don't do it, right? We'll hear a good word or whatever, and we don't do anything about it. What's the problem? Problem isn't that we didn't hear it. The problem isn't with the word. The problem is with the soil. It's with the condition of our hearts. And Jesus, through this parable, is going to address just that, the different conditions of the hearts of man and really how it prevents us from um, allowing us to hear the word and that translated to us doing the word. So he's going to talk about these four different conditions, okay? If you look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 2, says, and great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Okay, so picture the scene. You have a multitude on the beach, if you will. 
Okay, they're on the shore. Jesus gets into a boat and he goes off the shore a little distance from the shore so that he's on a boat projecting his words, communicating to the people and the words are projecting off of the water. Okay, this was, this was awesome. This was so intellectual and genius of Jesus. See, if you communicate over a body of water, it carries better than if I just communicated without a microphone to if we were outside and I just communicated to the multitude, it would be harder for everyone to hear. But Jesus, he knows that. He gets in the boat, goes off the shore a little bit, allows the water to project his voice. The water carries his voice. But what Jesus is doing here is he's operating in a gift. He's operating in the gift of administration. See, he knows there's a multitude and there's a need. The multitude needs to hear the word that he's getting ready to preach. The only way that's going to happen is if Jesus figures out a way that they can all hear him. So what he does, he gets in the boat and he speaks to project his voice across the water. He's operating in one of the gifts God's given him. See, so cool about Jesus. Jesus has all the spiritual gifts, but we don't, okay? Jesus has every gift, but we don't. We have some gifts, okay? And some might have more gifts than others, but we definitely have gifts. We just don't have all of them. I want to ask you guys, do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Do you know what your gifts are? Maybe you have the gift of service. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality. Maybe it's administration. Maybe you have the gift of speaking in the tongues of men and of angels. Maybe you have the gift of prophecy or knowledge. Okay, all these gifts are discussed in different sections of scripture. Um, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, But we see all these different gifts that God Um, equips the body of Christ with, but do we know which ones he's equipped equipped us with individually? Because if we don't know the gift, then we very well may not operate in the gift. And the Lord desires us to operate in the gifts. Why? To edify the body and glorify his name. Jesus here, he's operating in the gift of administration. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 3, it says, Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Okay, Jesus spoke many things in parables to them. Jesus often communicated in parables. Now we see seven parables here in Matthew chapter 13, like I said, but he often speaks in parables. He um, speaks in parables in other sections of Scripture. Uh, And it's really important to understand what a parable is. Well, a parable is essentially a short story to get across a specific truth. Okay? It's a short story to get off, get across a specific truth. And when we understand the original Greek word there, it's parabole or parabolo. Um, parabolo would be the English translation. But what it actually means, it means to cast alongside of. What, is that? what does that have to do with anything? To cast alongside of. Well, think about this. Okay, who fishes in here? Three people, four or five. Okay. Okay, so when you're fishing, what do you do? You take your rod, your reel, and you cast a hook alongside a fish. It's not going to really work if you try to cast the hook right at the fish's head. They usually don't bite, right? You cast whether, um, depending on how you're fishing, you cast it alongside of them, okay? So think about this. Jesus speaks in parables to cast alongside information. Why? Okay, so as the hook is right there, eh, close to the fish, but not right in his mouth, it's close to him, what happens? The fish gets curious, right? The fish starts swimming for it, and eventually the fish is going to bite. Jesus, he speaks in parables to cast information alongside us. He doesn't force feed us, okay? He doesn't just take the word and jam it or cram it into our mouths, no. He's a master communicator. He communicates in a way that makes us curious that we wanna bite that hook. So when we bite that hook, now we can chew. Now we can meditate on, now we can understand on a deeper level. He doesn't just give it right 
to us. He almost makes us work for it in the sense to understand. And he also speaks in parables. Uh, Like we said, they're short stories, and we often remember stories, right? Some of us have a hard time remembering a bunch of facts, but when we hear stories, oh, okay, I remember that story. And as we think about the story and as we meditate on the story, we understand it on a deeper and deeper level. And that's the beauty of the word of God. And that's the beauty of how Jesus communicates. He just casts it alongside. He doesn't just force feed us and just give us complete understanding. He gives us like, here you go. Come bite the hook. Okay. I bite the hook. Now I'm chewing on it. Now I'm meditating on the story and I'm, uh, I'm understanding that this goes so much deeper than I originally thought. And now as I'm chewing on it, I'm going deeper and deeper and deeper in my understanding of the word of God. Um, and this, a lot of this is about understanding and we'll get into it at the end uh, of the parable. But we're talking about the parable of the sower, right? parable of the sower. We're going to see in this parable, Jesus is going to speak of a seed and he's going to talk about these four different soils, okay? The problem isn't with the seed. The problem is with the soil. What do I mean? Well, the seed here is the word of God. And the soil is the condition of men's hearts. The soil represents the heart. The problem isn't the gospel. The problem isn't the word of God. It's not the gospel that needs to change. It's not the word of God that needs to change. It's the hearts of man that needs to change. And that's what we're going to see here throughout this parable. But one thing I want to point out before we kind of dive into it a little more, um, this parable often is used to communicate to non-believers, okay? And many people have been, oh, the parable of the sower, I'm saved already. I don't need to hear the parable of the sower. I'm the one that has good soil and I'm producing mass fruit in my life. I hope that that's the case for you, but maybe it's not. The reality of this is this isn't just for the unbeliever, Okay, this is for the believer and we're going to see here that every single soil or heart condition that's mentioned here, we can identify with. Whether you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years or five days, this soil represents our hearts to a certain degree. Okay, now picking it back up in verse three, he opens it up with, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Now we're going to see here, this sower, this guy that's casting out seeds, scattering seeds, he's not like strategically putting seeds in specific places. Oh, that's good soil, so I'm going to put a a seed there. And that's bad soil, I'm not going to put a seed there. That's not what he's doing. He's simply walking around uh, his farm, if you will, and he's just throwing out seed. He's just casting seed everywhere, hoping that some of that seed will eventually hit good soil and grow and produce something. What do I mean? We're called to sow seeds regardless of the condition of the soil, which brings me to my first point, sow seeds regardless of the soil. See, the soil's man's heart. We're called to preach the gospel or spread the word regardless of what we think is in the heart of a man. Oh, they're, they're never going to receive the gospel. Do you see how they're dressed or do you see what they say or do you see how they act? It's not your job to discern whether or not somebody's heart is in a condition to receive the gospel. Your job, our job, is simply to sow the seed, to spread the word. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, I planted, meaning I planted the seed the word, Apollos watered, verse 6, but God gave the increase. So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. Paul's saying, I just planted. Apollos, he watered, he discipled, 
But God was the one that did the increase. I didn't know what was in their hearts. I just planted the seed. It was God that took that seed and made it into something productive. See, it's God that prepares the hearts of man. John says it like this in John chapter 6, verse 44. John chapter 6, verse 44. He says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This is Jesus speaking. No one comes to me unless my Father draws them. Unless my Father is preparing their heart, no matter what I preach to these people, they're going to... They're, they're either going to receive the gospel or they're not going to receive the gospel, but it's a matter of God preparing their hearts. And what we're going to see here later in this text, in John chapter 6, uh, a bunch of the people walk away from the message that Jesus just communicated. Why? Because their hearts weren't prepared to hear the words that Jesus was trying to communicate, that Jesus was trying to get across, but Jesus was simply being faithful to sow, sowing the seed. He knew some of them wouldn't receive it, and he knew some of them would, but he stayed faithful to what God had called him to and sow seeds. That's what we're called to do. We're called to sow seeds. We're not called to discern what's in a man's heart, whether they're going to receive the gospel or not. So I was in Belize a year, year and a half ago on a mission trip. Anyone ever been to Belize? So Belize, it's a beautiful country. Um, lots of vacationers go there, but as you go inland, a lot of the locals, they know there's lots of vacationers, and it's a third world country, and there's a lot of crime, there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of stuff that goes on there in Belize. So we were at this church, supporting this church, and uh, we had a service, and the pastor said, hey, we're going to have a, a worship prayer service tonight. Will you guys go out and invite people and share the gospel? Now, I was with Patmos and a bunch of the students had been doing this the last couple days, uh, and I got my first chance to be a part of it. So one of the, <laughs> Bea was her name, uh, one of the Spanish speakers says, hey, okay, yeah, all these streets are good, but don't go down that street. Okay, there's a guy down that street that keeps cursing out the students. He's saying all kinds of stuff. I feel like we're putting ourselves in danger if we go down that street. And I'm like, I kind of heard her. And I'm like leading the group, but I'm not really paying attention because I was talking to somebody. I remember now after the fact, of course. And so I start walking down the street. She's probably like, uh, I told you not to go down that street, but you're going down that street. And she's probably like, well, he's leading. I'm just going to submit when all reality was I just didn't really understand what she was saying. Okay. So I go down the street and sure enough, this guy starts yelling from his yard and he's saying explicative, 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 this, that, and the other that I cannot speak uh, or say from the pulpit. And so I walk over there. I just go up to the gate and he, and he started saying some rough things. And he's like, why are you guys out here? Nobody wants to hear this, yada, yada, yada. I was like, you don't believe in God? He goes, I believe in evil. I was like, hmm, that's interesting. You believe in evil, but you don't believe in God. And I was like, so if you believe in evil, if you're calling something evil, then you have to compare that to something, right? And what's that something? Good. How do you think you have an understanding of good versus evil? The Bible says that God's placed that in your heart. And so we start talking, we're having this conversation, and all of a sudden he starts lightening up. He's like, oh, all right. He's receiving it a little bit. Okay. And I was like, hey, man, you know, I share the gospel with him. Do you want to receive the Lord? No, no, not having it. Okay, so later that night, we enter into the prayer worship session, and the pastor's like directing us in prayer, and he's like, um, and he, he's kind of gearing it towards the lost or praying for a specific person. Literally, as soon as I close my eyes and start praying, I'm praying for this guy's name was Wilmer, okay? I start praying for Wilmer. Not 30 seconds later, I feel a tap on my shoulder. And I turn around, and this local points to the window, and there's Wilmer on his bike. And he's like, hey, come here, come here, come here. So I go out there, and Wilmer had a pretty crazy story. He was a gangster in New York, uh, part of a specific gang, gang that he had mentioned, um, and he got deported for gang activity. He was arrested, imprisoned, and deported. So he's struggling, being back in Belize, and yada, yada, yada. And so I continue to communicate with him, sharing the gospel again in a different way, trying to meet him where he's at. And he's like, I want Jesus. Uh, I, I know I need that. I need the Lord, and I know he's brought you into my life. And he received the Lord. 
This was the last person in that community that anyone would think would receive the Lord that day. The people were telling us, don't go on this street because of this specific guy. Me and my ignorance and not understanding what she said, I happened to share the gospel with him and he got saved. It's not for us to judge whether or not someone's going to receive the gospel. It's for us to simply sow seeds and allow God to do the increase, allow God to do the work in someone's heart. Now, picking it up in this parable, uh, in Matthew chapter 13, um, if, you, if you look, in verses 4 to 8, Jesus speaks the parable. And then, in verses 18 to 23, Jesus explains the parable. Okay, He explains each condition of a man's heart. Okay, so what we're going to do is as I read the parable, I'm also going to read the explanation. So we can just skip right to it. We don't have to worry about, oh, what does this mean? No, we'll just go and, and we'll look at exactly what Jesus says. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 4, okay, the sower, he went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. That's verse 4. Now look with me to verse 19. Jesus explains it. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. Okay? So the wayside, what's the wayside? The wayside on a farm was the walking path. Now, what happens when you're walking on soil time and time and time again? What happens? It gets packed down, right? It gets hard. It gets so hard that a seed, if it falls on it, nothing's going to happen. The wayside, the walking path is too hard to embrace, too hard to receive the seed. So nothing's going to come of it, okay? This speaks of a hard heart that resists the word. Which brings me to my second point. Hard hearts resist the word. Simply put, hard hearts resist the word. That's what the wayside represents. The, the, the soil is too compact. It's too hard to receive the word, so it resists the word. Now we see this manifest itself in many different ways when it comes to communicating the gospel, but we know one of the biggest things um, that Paul says when it comes down to not receiving the gospel is, yes, a hardness of heart, but that's rooted in ignorance and unbelief. It's 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. You can write it down. That's why he said he persecuted Christians. He didn't receive the gospel. He was going against the gospel. And the reason he explains why he did those things, his heart was so hard because it was rooted in ignorance and unbelief. He didn't understand and he didn't believe. Now, look at this. It says, there's another part of this. In verse 4, and the birds came and devoured them. Now we see in verse 19 that this is, bless you, the wicked one. Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. So the birds of the air are those that are really demons or the enemy and his demons that snatch up the word of faith. See, when a seed of faith is sown, the enemy's like, mm, I'm going to try to come and snatch that up and replace it with a seed of doubt. I don't want you to come to faith. I'm going to use your hard heart and I'm going to use spiritual warfare to take that seed of faith and change it into a seed of doubt. Why? Because if I can keep you in ignorance and unbelief and I can keep your heart hardened, then you're never going to receive the word. You're never going to be saved and ultimately you're going to be destroyed. And that's the goal of the enemy. He comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. Okay? So this could be like an example. Um, you're sharing your faith with someone that's on the wayside heart condition, okay? So you're sharing your faith with someone and at first they hear you out, they hear the word of God, but it doesn't translate to faith. 
Why? Because first of all, they're doubting and they're unbelieving and they don't understand what you're saying. Wait, why would God come and die for my sins? That doesn't make sense. The Bible, I thought it was a bunch of fairy tales. I don't believe that stuff, yada, yada, yada. So the seed of faith comes, but now they're struggling with doubt and they, des- they don't desire enough to seek understanding because there's understanding to be had. They don't seek understanding, so they just dwell in their doubt and they never receive the word of God. And the enemy is going to work on the other side, allowing um, that the, the doubt and deceptiveness to come into their mind so that they think of whatever reason they can to not accept the gospel. And that's the case. As it says, so often people don't accept the gospel because they don't understand it. It's like you received the gospel for that first time. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home and you're like, man, I have some tough questions. I'm not just going to accept the gospel like that. There's some things I struggle with in the Bible that I don't know if I believe. I don't know about the resurrection. I don't know about this. I don't know about that. And that unbeliever, they struggle with these things. They don't understand it. They don't have enough desire to seek to understand it. And they're destroyed by their doubt. For the believer, this pertains to us as well. We can allow our hearts to be in that wayside condition. We can allow our hearts to become so hard that we don't receive the word of God. See, it happens when we allow our circumstances and situations to dictate the condition of our heart. See, has every, anyone ever felt like your heart was laid out there like a walking path? Like people, you're a believer, you've been walking with the Lord, and you put yourself out there and people just walk all over you. They just step all over your heart. They take advantage of you. And what happens? you're not going to the Lord and going to the word and recognize they did the same thing to Jesus, we can become bitter. We can become frustrated. Our hearts can become hardened. Okay. What about this? Maybe you come from another church in the past and maybe there was a falling out with you and your old pastor, or maybe that pastor, maybe they took advantage of you, or maybe you're struggling with receiving the word of God from this church because you didn't trust the pastor from another church. So everything that's communicated, you operate in skepticism and doubt, and you're not really receiving. You're always questioning that's a wayside heart. Because of you being burned in the past, now you're not receiving the word of God, not just from the pastor, but from anyone. If I'm not, if, if, if I'm not hearing it from Jesus himself, then I'm gonna debate, I'm gonna question, I'm gonna be skeptical of anything that comes into my ear and allow it to penetrate my heart. Also, sometimes... The birds of the air snatch up the seeds from the believer as well. What do I mean? Well, the enemy, he uses three main tactics that we see in the word of God. We see this all the way from Genesis to the Gospels. uh, And those things are discussed in 1 John 2, verse 16. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He's going to get you one of those three ways every single time. Less the flesh, less the eyes, pride of life. And it doesn't stop when you're a believer. Lust of the flesh, robbing you of the word of God. How many people are thinking about what they're going to be eating when they leave here? How many people are like, I know there's muffins out there and coffee and I'm ready to reload. I need another cup of coffee. I need another muffin. Now you're going to be thinking about this the rest of service. But the enemy's robbing you. You're distracted by your flesh and you're not engaging in the word of God. Everybody was like, uh, chilling until I said that. And now you're like, oh shoot, he's getting me. I've been thinking about the food the whole time. What about the lust of the eyes? Now, many of you are married, but some of you aren't. Everybody remember that time when you first came to Christ before you were married. Maybe you came to Christ after you were married. Regardless, just follow me here. And you're worshiping in the sanctuary. Now you're sold out for Jesus. You love the Lord. You're worshiping him with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. You have your eyes closed. I don't know why, but you opened your eyes. And as soon as you opened your eyes, there comes that beautiful girl or that handsome guy. And he's walking in your aisle. 
And you're like, I was just worshiping, now I'm distracted, and I'm looking at him, and now I'm worshiping. I don't even know if I'm worshiping sincerely anymore because I now want this guy or this girl to see me worshiping because I'm spiritual, because I want them to like me. Maybe God's bringing me my husband. <laughs> Lust of the eye. He got you. And now instead of worshiping, you're focused on that. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. What about the pride of life? How many people have heard a sermon about the parable of the sower? before in the past, right? Since I was a little kid, I don't need to hear this again. Like I've heard the parable of the sower taught so many different ways, so many times. Uh, I know it. I get it. Do I really have to be in service right now? It's the enemy appealing to the pride of life. See, you thinking that you got it and you don't need it, will prevent you from allowing the word to not just go through your ear, but penetrate your heart. Anybody ever check out during a teaching like, oh yeah, I've heard this one before. Oh, come on, you've done it before. <laughs> but it happens though. Lust the flesh, lust the eyes, the pride of life. The birds of the air, if you will, might be snatching the seed of the word from you in this very moment. And what do we do? We got to engage. We got to focus on the word of God. Matthew chapter 13, verse 5 says, Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no roots, they withered away. Look at the explanation. Verse 20, it says, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles, okay? This is someone who receives the word with joy. That was a good word. I receive it with joy and a little growth happens, but they have a shallow faith with no depth of root. So eventually they just get burned out. They wither away. I'll explain further, but let me make the point. Point number three, shallow roots lead to a shallow faith. Shallow roots lead to a shallow faith. Maybe it's someone that answered an altar call and had some immediate growth and then over time, their growth became stagnant. It became stale. It didn't go any further. It just remained there in that same place. This can apply to us certainly as believers. You ever hear a good word like, yeah, Joyful, that was a good word, man, that, that hit home. I hear people say, oh, man, that hit home, that was good, that, that penetrated the heart, and then you apply it for a little while, like a couple days, or maybe you get all the way through next Sunday, and then what happens? You forget about it, and you're no longer growing in that area of your life anymore. Yeah, you received it with joy, you sprang up with growth and joy, and then it stopped. No more growth, why? Jesus says, look, some fell on stony places. It's a problem with your soil. It's a problem with your heart. See, stony places, this referred to where the soil was thin and shallow, and by the looks of it, it looked like good soil, but under the surface, there were stones. Under the surface, there were rocks. At first glance, everything looked okay, but there was some things under the surface that were preventing growth from happening. See, there are things just below the surface that you can't see that are preventing you from spiritual growth. There's stones in our hearts. We all got stones we're dealing with. Maybe you got a stone of unforgiveness toward a friend or family member. Maybe you have a stone, stone of bitterness in your heart. There's all different kinds of stones, but we're never going to reach our full spiritual potential unless we get past the surface and go deep where the stones are lying. So what do we do? What do we do about stones we can't see? We ask God to expose them. God, I know there's stones in my heart. I don't know what they are. I just heard him tell me that they are. 
that they're there somewhere. So what do I do? God, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. Expose those things that I can't see that are under the surface, that are deep within my heart. See, God He's always going to call us deeper. He's always going to call us deeper and deeper to understand and realize what those stones are so that he can take them and we can have a deeper and deeper faith that's rooted in his word. The psalmist says it like this in Psalm 42, verse 7, deep calls unto deep. What does that mean? God is calling us deeper and deeper. If we have deep roots, Look what he says. Then we'll be able to stand when trials come. The problem with this person, they're not able to stand when hard times come because they don't have deep roots. When tribulation or persecution arises, verse 21, because of the word, immediately he stumbles. It's like, that's a good word. Like Jesus called me to do this or Jesus called me to be in ministry or Jesus promised me this or whatever he told you and now we receive it with joy but when it comes to pass and we're in the trenches, we're in the trial, we're like, man, I didn't think that this is what the Christian faith was all about. I thought it was about blessing and happiness and joy and love and it's like, yeah, love, joy, peace, that's part of it. It's the fruit of the spirit but he also said, in this world you will have tribulation. He said, those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He said, hey, Narrow is the way and difficult is the path that leads to life. It's going to be hard. So when we just receive this word with joy, without letting it take root and penetrate our hearts, then like this um, seed, it grows for a little bit, but when the sun scorches it, when it's really tried, when it's truly tested, it withers away. It gets burned out. It doesn't last. Matthew chapter 13, verse 7 says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Let's look at the explanation by Jesus in verse 22. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. So Jesus explains that the thorns are the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches. It's the cares of this world and materialism, if you will. These are people that are truly um, purposing to, to seek the Lord and apply His Word. They're experiencing spiritual growth. They're walking out their faith, but they're cr- growing in too close proximity to the world. Okay? Yeah, they're growing in their faith, but they're also growing with the world and they're too close and they don't recognize the temptation that's going to lead them astray, the temptation that's ultimately going to destroy their faith. Which brings me to the fourth point. Grow in the word, not with the world. Okay? We're called to be, Jesus says in uh, John chapter 17, that basically we're called to be in the world, but not of the world, okay? So we're called to grow in the world, grow in the word, not grow in the world, grow in the word and uh, proclaim the good news or the gospel to the world and be a light in the world, but not to grow with the world, not to grow like the world. See, this is a person that thinks that they can be a believer, but still hang out with all their old same friends, and do the same things they were doing before. But I go to church on Sunday. And you know what? I even receive, I even go to church on Wednesday too. But on Saturday and Friday, I'm wilding out. I'm hanging out with my old friends, yada, yada, yada. It's like, wait a minute. You got one foot in and you got one foot out. Jesus said that that's a, a lukewarm Christian. And that's something that I can't even swallow. In fact, he tells us in Revelation chapter 3, I spit that out of my mouth. You love Jesus, but you still have such a love for the world that uh, you're just sitting there in the middle. Now, we know the word, it, it, it clearly warns us of being too surrounded by worldly people. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, you can write it down, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says that bad company corrupts good morals. 
You are who you surround yourself with. I don't care how gifted you are or how much you love the Lord. If you're always around worldly people, you're going to become worldly. Okay, Solomon, I talked about this on Wednesday, but Solomon in all his wisdom, wisest man that ever walked the earth, what happened? He married outside the children of Israel. He married Pharaoh's daughter and a bunch of other people. And what happened? He brought idolatry into Israel, into Jerusalem. And it says his wives turned his heart away from the Lord. Solomon, I would say that's a man that loves the Lord. As time goes on, those outside influences change his heart, turned his heart away from the Lord that he actually began worshiping idols. Now, there's a redemption story for Solomon, but the point is that we are who we surround ourselves with. If we surround ourselves with worldly people and still try to um, engage in the faith, we're asking for trouble. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not called to reach out to the world. And this doesn't mean that we're not called to restore our brothers or sisters who have fallen back into worldly lifestyles. Paul makes it very clear in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, I have this bug, it keeps flying around me. The birds of the air are trying to distract me from the word. <laughs> I didn't realize they were bugs, but apparently they are. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brethren, <laughs> if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. Listen to that. So if you have a friend or a family member or a brother or sister in the faith that's fallen back into sin, that's fallen back into a worldly lifestyle, and you know they're not living right, you're called to restore them spiritually. But look at the second part. It says, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I'm not going to go to a bar or a strip club to try to restore my brother or sister who's in sin, okay? I'm not going to put myself in an environment that's going to potentially cause me to stumble. Maybe I'll ask him to come have coffee or something, but we can get to that place where we're like, man, I love the Lord and I'm like, I'm all about the things of God and I'm really doing it as a disciple. I'm so strong. Be careful. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. He who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. We gotta be very careful about that. You know, yes, you're called to reach out to them, but have discernment, evaluate, hey, is this an environment I should be going to or should I set myself up for success and maybe bring them somewhere else? Okay, you're called to restore your brother or sister who's fallen into trespass, who's fallen into sin. You're not called to be their Messiah. You're not called to be their Jesus. Their Jesus is their Jesus. Jesus is their Messiah. Jesus is the one that's going to save them. He might use you to help you restore them, but you gotta be careful, okay? We see here actually an example of someone, a disciple, someone that was sold out in the faith, fall back into the things of the world. If you look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 4, so we're not above this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, this guy had been doing ministry with Paul left and right. And then we see in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. This was a guy that was doing ministry with Paul on a regular, doing life with him, engaged in preaching the gospel. But Paul says he forsook me, he forsook the gospel, he forsook the faith because he loved the world too much. How sad is it when believers that are so gifted, that have so much to bring, that God wants to use so magnificently for the furtherance of the gospel and they have the heart and they have the passion, but... They're growing so close next to the thorns. It's the pride getting the best of them. Yeah, I can do this and that. Just like, no, you can't. It's one or the other. It's either my way or the way of the world. You pick, you choose. Many times he draws the line in the sand and says, hey, you're either for me or against me. To be a friend of God is to be an enemy of the world. To be a friend with the world is to be an enemy of God. Demas, he fell into worldliness because his pride got the best of him. He thought he could be a little part of both. We have to be very careful 
of that as believers. It happens too often to not be careful. Matthew chapter 13, verse 8, the last condition says, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, let's look at the ex- explanation in verse 23, Matthew 13, 23. He says, but he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30, okay? This is the good ground or the good soil, and this is synonymous with a good, healthy heart condition, okay? A good heart condition equals not just hearing the word, but receiving it and purposing to understand it. We can hear the word, and not do it. We can hear the word and not truly change, okay? So it's hearing it, allowing to go from our ear, penetrate our hearts in purpose to understand it with our minds. This is the fifth and final point. Grow in understanding and produce fruit. Grow in understanding and produce fruit. My heart is in a good place. Not only am I going to hear the word, and receive it in my heart, I'm going to purpose to understand it. Why? If I don't understand the word, how am I going to apply it? What's God's will for our life? What does it mean to submit to the will of the Father? It means to hear his word and do it. If I'm just hearing the word, and it's not penetrating my heart, and I'm not trying and seeking to understand it with my mind, what is there to apply? I'm just hearing the word, but I don't get it. I don't understand it. I can't apply it if I don't have a general understanding of it. See, it takes work to understand the word. It's John chapter 6, verse 27. John chapter 6, verse 27. says, do not labor, Jesus says this, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. The food that he's speaking of is the word of God. Don't labor for physical food that perishes. Labor to understand the word of God. Labor for that food. And then look what he says in verse 28. Then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. This is the work of God that you believe in whom, him whom you sent. Yeah, that's Jesus' work on the cross and we believe him by faith. We believe in what he did by faith and we're saved. But it's not just a, uh, I believed one day and then the next day I didn't. It's a continuous belief. What do I mean? We have to continue to labor for our faith to grow. We need to tend to our faith. We need to work on and work out our faith. Anybody have any like trees or plants at home? Yeah, probably. (laughs) That you actually water or take care of? What happens if you don't water? (laughs) You're like, no. The the, the wives are like, yeah, I take care of him. He doesn't doesn't do anything to help that. Uh, Anyways, no. So, we have like some bushes and some flowers and stuff out here. Um, and if we didn't take care of them, if we didn't water them, if they weren't in a place where they gained sunlight, what would happen to them? They would die, right? Same with our faith. If we're not tending to it, if we're not taking care of it, if we're not positioning our, ourselves in a place where we're going to continue to grow, then our faith is What? It's not alive, it's dead. Um, James says it clearly, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Okay, I gotta work on my faith. I need to work out my faith. I have to strive and work on my understanding of the word of God. That's part of being diligent in um, purposing to allow our faith to, to grow. It's understanding the word. Um, If you flip back to Matthew chapter 13, 
and this is where we'll close in this section, Jesus explains the reason why he speaks in parables, okay? This is where we'll close. In verse 10, it says, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. Forever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their, see with their eyes, I almost said see with their ears, and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are, you, are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So Jesus, he explains why he speaks in parables. And this is really the reason why he speaks in parables to put the burden of understanding back on the person. Okay? He speaks in parables so that you're responsible to hear it. He communicated truth but you have to have the responsibility and the desire in you to seek him for understanding. They're hearing the gospel. They're seeing the works of Jesus. All these things are happening right in front of the Pharisees' eyes, but it's coming to nothing. Why? They don't want to hear it. They don't want to see it. They don't want to understand it. Their hearts are so hard that they have no room for Jesus in their hearts. See, Jesus, he speaks in parables, not just to the Pharisees. He speaks in parables to the disciples as well. He speaks in parables to us. Why? Because he desires us to seek him for understanding. Yes, he wants us to understand, but way beyond his desire for us to understand his word is his desire for us to seek him. He wants us to simply seek him. So very rarely does Jesus simply like put it on a platter and say, this is, this is what it is, real simple, right? Sometimes he does, but most of the time he communicates in a way that makes us have to think. Like we talked about in the beginning, he makes us, it makes us, wait a minute, Jesus, I don't get this. First time I read the Bible, I didn't get it. As I continue to read, as I continue to chew on, as I continue to pray to God and seek him, Lord, what does this even mean? The Holy Spirit's the teacher and whole communicate deeper truths to us so that we understand. But his heart above understanding is that we would seek him. It says it like this in Proverbs chapter 25, verse two. Proverbs chapter 25, verse two, if you're taking notes. It says, uh, in other words, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. What? It's the glory of God to conceal things from us? It's the glory of God to hide things from us? Why would God wanna hide things from us? Then right after that, it says, it's the glory of kings to search a matter out. Wait a minute. God, you want, you want to hide things from us? You, you want to keep things from us? Yes. Why? Not that we wouldn't find those things, but then our, in our pursuit of him, he would reveal those things. It's the glory of kings to search a matter out. Let me say it like this. How many of you have hit... Easter eggs for a kid before? Raise your hands, you pagans. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I've done the same. Okay, forgive me. No, we know that's a pagan thing, right? Hopefully. Um, there is no Easter bunny. Sorry. Yikes. Jeremiah, sorry. Um, so we see we don't hide um, things from kids. We don't hide Easter eggs from kids so that they don't find them, right? Who's hid an Easter egg from a kid hoping that they wouldn't find it? You're evil, wicked people. <laughs> no, we hide things from them so that they have joy in their pursuit 
of finding it. We don't just put them all in the basket because what fun would that be? Be like, here you go. Here's all your Easter eggs. We're like, for me, that would be great because I hated Easter egg hunting. I was the worst at it. My brother and my sister would always find the Easter eggs and I'd be left with nothing. So maybe for me, that would work. But we hide, we hide the Easter eggs in strategic places so that my, maybe it's a little difficult to find them, but we want our kids, we want the kids to find the Easter eggs eventually, right? And we want them to have joy in the process of seeking and finding those Easter eggs, such as our faith. In Colossians chapter 3, he says, you died and your life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus. What? My life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Well, how do I find my life? Uh, We seek Jesus. As we seek out the purpose of Jesus, his will for our lives is revealed. It's not like an Easter egg that he hid in a place you're never going to find. No, the Easter egg's hidden in the person of Jesus. I can't believe I said that. He's hiding his purpose for you in the person of Jesus. As you seek Jesus, you'll understand what the purpose is for your life. Um, I don't know if that's okay. (laughs) No Easter eggs, no Easter bunny. Okay, I'm just using an illustration here. It takes a diligent pursuit of Jesus to understand him and his word. And that's what he says here. Look at back at verse 23. He who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit. See, faith comes by hearing the word, but fruit comes from understanding it. We can hear the word and grow in faith, but for fruit to be produced, we need to understand it. Why? Like I said before, we need to understand it so that we can apply it. We need to understand it so that we can communicate it. And there's all different references to fruit in the Bible. Um, I'll just list a few. There's a fruit of holiness, right? Uh, be holy for he is holy. So when we act like God, there's, that's fruit. That's fruit in our, our lives. There's the fruit of the Spirit, love. Fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, um, faithfulness, self-control. All those things describe love, okay? When you're, the fruit of love is being produced in your life, all these other things are going to be attached to that, Um, In Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, there's a fruit of good works, doing good things for the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, there's the fruit of our lips, praise and worship. There's a fruit, okay? And there's other ones, all right? There's many other times that the Bible talks about fruit. But if I'm not seeking to understand what fruit is in the Bible, how am I going to produce it? What? I don't know. Oh, he says, if you understand the word, you're going to produce fruit. Well, what's fruit? Well, the Bible tells us in many different passages what fruit is. So as I'm, God, what does that mean? Lord, give me understanding of that. Where else does it talk about fruit? Where else does it talk about this or that? And now as I'm understanding what it is and defining the terms, now I can apply it to my life. But it all starts with the soil. It all starts with the condition of our heart will only produce fruit if our hearts are in a good condition to receive the implanted word. We can hear it or read it all we want, but if our hearts aren't in the right place, then our fruit is going to be limited. Okay. So what do we do? We, maybe you have a wayside heart. Maybe your heart is so hard towards God and towards people that it's just like, you need a new one. You, gone, gone, gone with the stone, stony heart of flesh, as Ezekiel says uh, in chapter 36, verse 26. No more with the stone of the heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. God's promising to give us a new heart. Maybe you're there and I, God, I just need a complete heart transplant. My heart is so hard. Maybe your heart is okay on the surface, but... There's some stones that need to be taken out just beneath the surface that are preventing you from growth. Maybe you need to forgive that person that you've held so much bitterness towards in these last however many years. Maybe you're receiving the word, you're growing, but you kind of have one foot in, one foot out. You're growing very close in proximity to the world and you're getting caught up and distracted by the cares of the world. And when all those things are settled and all those things are figured out, 
Now we got good soil. Now we got soil that God can get his hands in and plant as many seeds as he wants and those seeds can grow and produce fruit and now our lives are producing fruit, our lips are producing fruit and now we're teaching other people what it means to have good soil. But it all goes back to the condition of your heart. See, some of the stuff we gotta get in there and work out on our own and some of the stuff God's gonna work out for us, but without seeking him for understanding, our hearts aren't going to change. But ultimately, hearts will be changed and transformed in our pursuit of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the way you change hearts, God, through your word. Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart to seek and understand um, your word, God, that it would not just come into our ears, but it would penetrate our hearts. It would affect our lives, God, that we would be people that produce fruit. Lord, if our, our soil, if our hearts aren't in a good place, pray that you would change them. Lord, you can change them. You're able to change them. Lord, so um, produce good soil in us that we may bear much fruit. In your name, amen.